everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, a special 2020 edition. This series, I'll be speaking with leading consultants, educators, and academics who are passionate about positive education to learn from them about their experiences and journeys in creating flourishing students, educators, and whole school communities. Join me as we learn from these inspiring individuals. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Peggy Kern. Peggy is an Associate Professor at the Centre for Positive Psychology within the University of Melbourne's Graduate School of Education. Originally trained in social, personality and developmental psychology, Peggy received her undergraduate degree in psychology from Arizona State University, a master's and PhD in social personality psychology from the University of California and postdoctoral training in positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Her research focuses on understanding, measuring and supporting well-being across the lifespan. She works with schools and workplaces to examine strategies for supporting well-being and bridging gaps between research and practice. She's published over 100 peer-reviewed articles and chapters and three books focused on well-being and school belonging. Well, welcome, Peggy. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be joining you today. And of course, you've been involved in the field of not just positive education, but positive psychology for quite a while now, Peggy. And I know um, I have been too, and we don't sort of want to uh, go back too far, but really, really interested, I guess, to start off with hearing a little bit more about the work that you do now. But even prior to perhaps going into that, what brought you to this field? Yeah, so I've actually had a very interesting kind of wandering journey as I actually came to this whole area. My training was actually in social personality psychology, really studying people as they live out their lives. So from a real lifespan perspective, looking at who lives longer, healthy aging, and really looking at what are the individual and social factors that help some people really thrive and go well in life versus others who struggle a lot or are ill in various ways. And so really understanding those different journeys that are there. And so I got my PhD in California. And then I had an opportunity for a postdoc position at the University of Pennsylvania, mm. working with Martin Seligman and Angela Duckworth. Wow. And I remember when I initially went and did the interview there, I didn't actually think I would end up there. And so it was just like a nice trip to Philadelphia. And I I didn't actually know who Seligman was at the time. <laughs> Can I ask what year that might have been, Peggy, around? Uh, so that was 2010. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I probably should have thought to like Googling people before <laughs> I met with them. But, but I think it actually, you know, when I went and visited, I wasn't trying to prove myself or anything. And so we had some good conversations. And then I, I ended up with a position there. And it was, so it was supposed to be a two-year position. And so as part of that, doing different research projects, I got involved in the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program there. So I was working uh, with Angela Duckworth on the research methods class and then also supervised some capstones. And, and that really started taking my work to much more applied space. So my background is very much in sort of the more of that basic, what's going on underneath the surface, those processes and whatnot. And working with the MAPS students, it really took me into much more of 
well, what does this really look like in the real world? And so ended up being four years that I was there. And as part of that, I had the opportunity to come to Australia a few times. That was part of the Geelong POSED program? Not from right. Geelong. No, actually. So Marty was a thinker in residence at, in Adelaide for a while. And so as part of that, his strategy was that you need to focus on measure and build well-being. And so coming off of that, he then sent me over as a measurement expert. Uh-huh. I was not a measurement expert. I had a lot of quantitative background. Right. I learned more <laughs> about well-being measurement in, in the month heading up to that trip than I had ever imagined. And then I came and, and met with schools and government and workplaces and came over to um, Melbourne Uni and gave a dean's lecture there. And then went back and continued work and came back to Australia a couple years later because Apparently, they got the message that they should measure well-being, and then they're like, oh, how? And I was like, oh, we need to do more work around that. So did, again, series of talks and whatnot. And then and then Melvin Uni had, I think they created a position that they wanted me there as they were starting the MAP program and whatnot. And, and so I came to the University of Melbourne and ended up in the School of Education. And that's really taken, so coming from the pause psych, And then really looking at that integration of that with education. And so I think that's where I really became at the heart much more of positive education more directly. But at the same time, I actually started uni as an early education major. And I ended up changing my major a few times and ended up in psychology. Meant to be. (laughs) You know, it took years and it came back in a different way than I ever imagined. But I think at the heart of that is that education has always been close to my heart, as well as really thinking about how we really bring out the best in every single individual. And when you put that all together, I think that's how it's taken me into this whole area. Yeah, and I always find it interesting, Peggy. Um, you know, I've been reading back to some of the humanistic psychologists, such as Carl Rogers and Maslow, but even as you would be aware, William James, the founding father of modern day psychology, did a series of talks to teachers, which you've probably come across. And yeah. I find it really interesting that a lot of, I guess, perhaps the more humanistic focused psychologists have had an interest in education. Well, I think exactly it, because I think when we really look at a lot of the humanistic people, is they're really looking at how people unfold across life. Yes. And us as learners, and that really is at the heart of what really distinguishes those that actually live life well is that that ongoing learning, that love of life, that embracing what is there and whatnot. And so at the heart of that is, you know, even in the early days is learning the skills to be able to do that well and giving people the interest and desire to keep learning across life. And I think, you know, in some ways, that's what we're bringing back into education through positive education is getting away from, you know, just a focus on performance and academics and actually bringing it back to actually create, you know, a love of life and learning in the first place. Absolutely. So in your position in the Centre for Positive Psychology, you supervise a lot of students, PhD students, Peggy? Yeah, so I have multiple PhD students covering a whole range of topics, which always keeps things very fascinating for me. I also work with our MAP program. So I do the the research methods and capstone subjects. So get to work with so many amazing individuals as they develop their ideas and and projects that can go off and do amazing things across some in schools, some in workplaces, some in medicine or law or all sorts of other areas. 
of really thinking about how we really impact this world as a whole for good. Absolutely. I mean, that's the beauty of a of a course like MAP, isn't it, is that it attracts such a diverse group of people um, that are interested in the topic of flourishing, if you like, but yeah, in so many diverse areas. But clearly, POSED, sitting in the Graduate School of Education, positive education has been a, a big focus. And you've recently, well, and I know soon to be published, a book called The Palgrave Handbook of Positive Education. Peggy, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm really excited about this this handbook that's coming out hopefully early in 2021, but dates to, to be confirmed on things. And so the handbook really came out of, I was uh, the founder and initial president of the International Positive Psychology Association's Education Division. And so as part of that, we were coming up with different ways to really move positive education forward. And a person in the division, Mike Weimer, we started working with some different publishers to really start to put forward this idea of putting a, a real handbook around positive education to really give guidance to the field. There's no real, even as I, I teach on positive education and whatnot, there's a lot of books that will suggest, but there's no real sort of defining. This is really our ways of thinking about what positive education is and really things we can be doing, what it can look like. And especially being a part of, if I really wanted to bring this real value of the diversity that yes. is part of an international community, which means positive education looks different in different places. There's a lot of different perspectives and ways of thinking about things. And those different voices actually need to be valued because I think too often we kind of hear from certain people and certain voices as opposed to thinking about some of the real kind of leaders that, that are really making amazing you know, differences in their own area. And so over time, we were able to set up this opportunity with, with Palgrave. And so we invited people from around the world, people that we saw as experts or leaders across topics that are relevant to positive education, which includes everything from positive education in practice, what's it look like in schools, focused on different capabilities that we might be building things like emotional regulation, our social relationships, a sense of belonging, things like contemplative practices such as mindfulness and meditation, mindset and ways of thinking about that creativity. And then also thinking about the spread across different communities. So thinking about, well, what does it actually mean for those who are disadvantaged or in the disability space? Uh, what about those that have a trauma background? How do we need to be thinking about that? And so we've had amazing people contribute. The chapters, just reading them are just like, I've gotten so excited about it. And, and I'm really excited about sharing this with, with everybody. And so it's 30 different chapters with such diverse perspectives that I really think it, it really sets up a new direction of where positive education, I think, is on the verge of going to in the future. Yeah, it's really exciting, Peggy, because as you know, I've been involved in the field for a very long time as well, and also have had the privilege of contributing uh, with my co-authors, Clive Leach and Daniela Falecki, who will also be on the podcast coming up as well. And it is very, very exciting because, as you said, we need that diversity of thought, and that's how fields evolve, isn't it, and grow. And so I think it's going to be a really important contribution to the field, and I can't wait for it to come out. <laughs> so it's an absolute must-have for anyone uh, that's looking to build their POSED library, I, I would suggest. 
And I think that element of thinking about how fields evolve, I think is actually quite useful. Recently with uh, my colleagues, Tim Lomas, Professor Lindsay O's, Paige Williams, and Professor Lee Waters, we published a paper in the journal PosPsych suggesting kind of three waves of positive psychology research and practice. And I've been thinking about this, and I can also see similar elements with positive education. And so what I'd say is the first wave is really what I'd say is positive psychology applied to education. The focus primarily being on students, teachers giving training and delivering materials, and taking a lot of positive psychology interventions and whatnot and applying them in the classroom. And we have different programs, curriculum, more that have come out of this. And lots of schools have shared amazing resources and whatnot. And I think that was a valuable start to the field. I also think that there were some problems with that as well. The focus on student well-being and happiness can be beneficial, but you also have, I mean, we have schools where they're, you know, a well-being school and students don't feel like it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And then they actually get very anxious about the fact that they're not happy because they're in a happy school. That's right. And then if teachers are struggling, how can they authentically teach well-being skills? And also even thinking about the environment. So I would say sort of a second wave has moved more towards creating learning environments. And so really thinking about both the taught and caught curriculum, as mentioned by Matthew White and myself. So I think that's sort of like where we're sitting right now is moving much more towards thinking about, okay, we're giving some skills and whatnot. We're really setting up these environments to really support our our young people. And then I think where we're heading is really what I see coming out in this handbook is really thinking about, we really need to wrestle with the complexity of our schools. And we really need to be thinking about, okay, what is the specific context that we're actually really working with? If I take something that worked in another school, it's not necessarily going to work in our school because there are unique needs and opportunities and strengths of our community. And we actually really need to be thinking about that listening to the different voices that are there and really be thinking about what is right to really bring out optimal functioning in each individual in our community, not not just students, not just teachers or leaders, but all of those together, bringing in our parents as well. And so really thinking more about context, the community, extending to diverse populations and really kind of recognizing schools as complex human social systems. And so I think my hope is that's where we're moving towards. Peggy, here, here. I was only just saying the other day, I can't recall, I was talking to someone and I actually said, I think we're moving to, we're a POSED 2.0. And I have read the third wave POSSIC paper, which I think is fabulous and again, highly recommended. We'll put uh, links to that on our Facebook page. But I couldn't agree more, Peggy, with what I see happening as well. And I think from the approach that we've taken, we've, I hope, have always, in a sense, from the beginning, have taken that approach in as much as recognising that each school is different. The educational component is very important because people don't know what they don't know. But really, I think what the strength and sustainability of some of the programs we've worked on and and people can listen to previous podcast episodes to hear some of those is that it's not been a program. You know, it's been an educational component in the first instance, and then it's collaborating with the school to 
bring something to life that fits in their school context and align to their school ethos. And that's what I've seen work really well. So I was also extremely delighted to see when you started to talk more about or actually develop this emerging field of systems-informed positive psychology. And would you be able to share a little bit about that? Peggy, perhaps it's building on what you've already mentioned. Yeah, so it's building just just on that. And so Last year, we, we did publish a paper where we put forth this idea of systems-informed positive psychology. And so this paper really started as working with Christine Sioku, who was a, mm-hmm. a beautiful person with yes. a real system science background. And she was a, a fellow at our center. And we really worked very closely to really think about, well, what does it actually look like to really bring so much of the knowledge and understanding from the system sciences? And really bring that together with positive psychology. And and as we talked about these, we could really see a lot of synergy coming together between these two areas of the value that each one has. And so I think we really started thinking like, okay, positive system sciences. And and we really realized like, you know what, we need to actually work within our space to begin with and really be thinking about what can we benefit from this whole area, interdisciplinary, a very massive area of system sciences that has spanned so many different disciplines and, and identified different principles that really become important when we're dealing with complexity. And I think when we think about our schools, there's no other place <laughs> where we see more complexity than in our schools in this day and age, which are volatile, changing, complex. And obviously, we've seen that at an even higher level as we've traveled through 2020 with, with the COVID pandemic. And that's just brought to life so many of the issues that, that are already there. And, and so SIP uh, really tries to identify some of these different principles and then think about, well, what does that mean for the work that we do in positive psychology? And this includes things like how we actually do our studies. Positive psychology traditionally has come very much from a positivist, you know, a reductionistic identify cause and effect. And we can do that through experiments and whatnot. That falls apart when we start to look within complex environments. And so we actually need to be thinking about different approaches to doing research that are not necessarily the traditional approaches of pause site, but are really valued. Things like action research and whatnot actually become very important, bringing in much more qualitative or mixed methods research. So it affects the way that we do our research. Thinking about things like power, who has power in a system and how does that actually affect our ability for well-being? And then also thinking about some of the ethical aspects of this is we often like to think of well-being as being values-free, but there are values at the heart of that. And that's actually defined by those who are actually a part of our system. And so we could be thinking about there are a variety of different principles that actually become incredibly important if we're actually going to be thinking about creating sustainable well-being for every individual and a community as a whole in these very interconnected, complex environments. Yeah, it's becoming a lot more sophisticated, isn't it? And I have seen that over previous years at the uh, PISA conferences uh, and also at the 
positive psychology conferences. They were quite simplistic designs in the early days. And now we're getting a lot more complex and sophisticated, which I think is, again, another exciting phase that we're moving into. Now, Peggy, you did mention in the book, the Palgrave Handbook that's coming out, that there perhaps there are some chapters that are looking on the application in perhaps different cultures or different areas that POSED might not have been typically used. And I guess I still see some hesitation with the term itself, although I've sort of moved on, Peggy, and I, I sort of say now, I don't care what you call it, <laughs> but, um, you know, just look to the science. <laughs> but um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see, I guess, this some hesitation that I still see existing around whether it's the term or whether, you know, we're already doing that or, yeah, your thoughts around schools looking at considering taking a posit approach and some of these thoughts that they might have. Yeah, and, and I think one of the challenges here is the, the language itself. Mm. You know, in, in many ways, PASSEG came out of a particular, it was really in reaction to a lot of the traditional approaches in psychology and really saying we need to kind of have the kind of antithesis to the dominant narrative that's here. Yeah. And that was actually very important for starting a field. And in many ways, we could be thinking about pause psych as a field and pause psych as a perspective. And that field is very much coming out of sort of the history along with that. But the perspective, I think, is what actually draws all of us to the area. And when we think about, you know, pause psych, this in positive education, it's the perspective that we're really talking about. But we also do have, you know, well, that positive word that works for some people, for others, it really yeah. turns them off. <laughs> yeah. You know, thinking about, well, well, what do you say? That regular education is negative and, and by no means. At the same time, it does give sort of a way, a, something for people to kind of stake, you know, a common language or whatever. What I really think is we need to use the language that's going to work with people. Really, we're working about, we're, we're talking about well-being science and that integration within education and we're going to call that different things. For some, it's positive education. For some, it's actually about social emotional learning. For some, it's actually about character development or holistic education. And you know that we pin these against each other. And yet these are actually all about how we really bring out optimal functioning in those who are in our educational community. And, and so I think we, we do need to be thinking about the language, but not necessarily be so stuck on we have to have one single term. We actually need to be thinking about, well, this is our commonality. And then from that, what we call it. And again, what that actually looks like actually really needs to be fit to our specific context. And I think that's, you know, with some of the system stuff, we're really saying there are core principles. And those principles are the things that draw us together. And then the language we use around that is what's going to communicate to the people that we're actually working with. I think that's going to resonate with so many people listening to this, Peggy. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives on that. And you've already shared so many learnings with us, but are there any other learnings or perhaps research that's really resonated with you in terms of your study of the field right now? Yeah, so I think some of the key things that have really come out, and I mean, I've seen this come out of your work and work by others, some of my students and things like that, is that... I think one thing I've seen a lot is people trying to oversimplify things from the whole pause psych and putting it in education. And I think that can not only be ineffective, but harmful, is that we really have to be thinking, you know, again, about we're taking that pause psych perspective, 
but we're really thinking about what does that actually mean for our particular context. And so we need to find what we've called simplexity, some of those sort of simple levers, but we we need to actually recognize this is within that broader complexity. And if we ignore that complexity, then we can get a really nice solution that actually doesn't fit the reality that we're actually existing within. Related to that, context matters. And just so often people just want to take one thing, you know, a program and then just bring it in. I do a lot around well-being measurement and people are like, I have to use this measure because it's a validated measure. And it's like, no, you, you need to use the right thing to address the things you actually want to be measuring and seeing change in. We need to be thinking about what is our context and asking questions. You know, what are our questions and matching what we do? to where we're sitting and to those questions that we want to answer. And then the third thing is that it's a long journey. (laughs) You know, if if we really want to be creating positive communities and we really want to be bringing out optimal functioning in each individual, that actually means oftentimes we have to actually be changing our cultures themselves. That means we actually need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of what's already there. I think so often we just focus on the weaknesses and we're like, now we need to bring in something new. We need to identify all that is already working, and then we build upon that and maybe shift in some ways. We need to have a hard and honest look at what's right and listen to those who are often ignored, which I think time and time again, we ignore those voices and we just push them under more and more. And so that element of equity actually becomes incredibly important. We need to reconsider our values individually and collectively and think about what our purpose of education actually is. We need to bring people along the journey. And and all of this, there's a lot of priorities and stakeholders that all seem to speak louder. And so all of this is a long journey. It takes commitment, persistence, and ongoing maintained perspective over time. Wonderful words of wisdom, Peggy. And uh, we have a pause checklist, which again, we, we make freely available. And I'm also aware that PISA have published a guide and it's just been updated, which I would highly recommend. But I know when we send that to schools at the beginning, when they first you know reached out, they'll often say, oh my goodness, this is huge. Like I didn't realise this was going to be so big. And you go, yes, that's right. But you know, it is uh, one step at a time. And uh, I always quote the the wonderful Chris Shaw, the deputy principal of Ballarat, who many, many years ago was one of our first clients. And she said, it's determining the big rocks, Susie. So work out the big rocks first and then then move from there. But yes, it is a long journey. Uh, True words, Peggy. And so I know we haven't got a lot of time left today. And uh, and just reflecting on your words of wisdom around measurement, we could just about have a whole podcast episode on measurement. It's such a big topic. <laughs> and increasing interest, which I think is also um, wonderful to see in schools too. But what do you think is the future of POSED? And this is a classic coaching question, Peggy. If, if we were sitting here in five years' time and I was asking you what's happening for you or what's happening in POSED right now, what would you ideally be telling us that's happening? So I think it really comes off of what I said about sort of that almost third wave of positive education and moving towards that element of embracing complexity. I'd like to see POSED really go beyond programs and curriculum but actually we're about developing a committed focus on collectively creating school cultures that really place the well-being of every individual, Mm. regardless of background, regardless of position at its heart. But that's not about people being happy all the time. It's actually about, they're actually developing and motivated to develop the skills 
to maintain their well-being. They have a mindset that is actually about taking responsibility for myself and empowering each individual to do what they can to benefit those around them and the world more broadly. And that our schools are really, you know, it's a place where at the deepest level, we embrace really each person being the best version of themselves, not only in their own journey, but for that collective journey of how I can actually be a good impact on this world as I move forward into the future, whatever that brings. Yeah, the contribution. And I guess it sort of connects back to your early interest in lifespan development because I've been thinking a lot more about, I mean, clearly we use the term wellbeing science, but for me, I'd love to see schools as an environment that it creates the capacity for self-actualization or, you know, that the, yeah. the adolescent development moving into adult development as well. And, and I just see how that sort of you've come full circle and perhaps you know, connecting back into some of your early interest in lifespan development. Oh, very much. I mean, I, th- I think in many ways by having that full perspective of life. Yes. And my work now is much more sort of on the, on the other side of, you know, from old age to childhood and adolescence and whatnot. But by understanding where we want to go and that element of the journeys that, that get us there, that actually gives us amazing insights of what we really want to be cultivating in our school communities at this point in time and as we move forward in the future. Absolutely. I did want to share, I normally ask people for a flourishing fact, what's something that you do for your own well-being? Could you share it with us? Yeah, so I actually can't point to a single well-being practice, but I actually think it's the consistently engaging in a myriad of different positive habits. So ways of thinking, behaving, and managing my emotions and I think especially as, as we've traveled through a period of actually quite a bit of challenge, I am so grateful that I have a range of tools that I can draw on. And because I've actually practiced them over time, that on those hard days, it's like, okay, well, let's actually look for some of those good things that are there. Or let's take a moment and enjoy some of the sights and smells. Or I actually need to actually engage in a bit of meditation just to refocus my attention Or maybe I actually need to just be kind to myself and accept that today's a bad day and that's okay. And so I think it's having that range of activities, but that I've I've consistently practiced and developed them as habits that really become so incredibly important, both in the good times, but even more so during those times of challenge. Absolutely. With a strong dose of self-awareness there, Peggy, to be able to recognize what you do need and um, what you're going to prioritize in your life too. So Peggy, if there was a book uh, that you would recommend, clearly we're recommending the Palgrave Handbook of Positive, or a podcast or for someone that wants to learn a bit more about positive education. And also we will refer people to your own website, which I've just had a little look at. And I have to tell you, another one of your, I'm assuming, wellbeing practices is cooking because you have recipes on there too. And as a vegetarian, I'm actually going to try some of those out, which is wonderful. But yeah, any books or other recommendations for people to go to? Yeah, so obviously I'm biased and I'll say our handbook that's coming out. Yes. Seligman's book, Flourish, is always a helpful starting point. It does seem to connect with a lot of people. I really like Michelle McQuaid's podcast on making positive work. Me too. (laughs) It's an organizational focus, but there are so many helpful lessons for positive education. And then one other one I'll note. So I recently read Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections. So uh-huh. it's focused on anxiety and depression, but just the lessons that come out of that and rethinking right. our whole perspective around mental health and whatnot 
it's provocative, challenging, and completely relevant to the issues that we're facing in our schools as we consider the worlds we want to create as we move forward. Could you repeat the author's name for us, Peggy? Yeah, Johan Hari. Right. And it's Lost Connections. Perfect. Well, definitely we will put that up on the Facebook page as well. Well, thank you so much, Peggy, for sharing your incredible work, your incredible mind, your incredible wisdom in this field. And thank you so much for the contribution that you do make. It's greatly appreciated, I know, by myself and my colleagues and many, many other people. So thank you so much. And we look forward to hearing more about what the future brings for Peggy and POSED. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, special edition 2020. If you're enjoying the series and you're a school leader who wants to take a strategic and sustainable approach to positive education in your school, contact us at info at thepositivityinstitute.com.au to find out more information about our Pioneers of Positive Education Mastermind Group, which we'll be launching in 2021. In the meantime, you might like to check out my new podcast, The Positivity Prescription, available on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.